0: Hi and welcome to The Crime Pods. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week we are doing a listener recommendation and we are off to Wales again. So this week I'm going to tell you the case of June Fox Roberts. As I said, we're doing a listener recommendation. So big thank you to Rob Pretty, who suggested we do this on Instagram. So big thank you. Um, We love doing recommendations. So if you have any, genuinely send them on over. Um, We mostly check Instagram. We do have an email, but we mostly check Instagram. But please just send us them. But also be patient because we are taking our time getting through some of them we've had loads which is great but we've also had like our own list so please send us them but we'll try and get to them as soon as we can Um, and as I said we're off to Wales I think I've only covered a couple of cases in Wales I feel like I always do the same speech of like oh we're back to Wales but I feel like I've now done quite a few in Wales I could be making that up Sam I don't know maybe we've done a couple in Wales yeah 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 three or three maybe three oh yeah <laughs> or maybe. two. um i don't know. I know touchy time to do it as well because we're in the middle of the six nations but i'm sorry but Wales
1: are I, not doing good so yes yeah, and, and wales wales know that so it's okay that, but if they well, didn't
0: wales sam said you're not doing good
1: <laughs> we have already bet them just saying oh that's it doesn't watch the six nations clearly yeah, I, I they were our first on. game
0: they were our first game okay yeah sam's a rugby one i'm a football and i don't know what's going on um yep. i i just i always just feel like Wales and ireland do really well yeah that i'm not even gonna call like, it wales
1: did well years ago they were oh. top form But anyway, there's been dramas, dramas, and Ireland did not do well years ago, but now they're bloody brilliant, and I think they're going to win the whole thing, and I expected them to win the World Cup, but anyway, that's another story. And England are now
0: shite too, but that's fine with me. We're happy with that. Um, Yes. Yeah, I think we're maybe currently second or something, which is all I know. And... Scotland. Anyway, I think we just need to stop talking about Six Nations,
1: Caitlin, because I am know a thinking thing. I
0: don't know what I'm talking about, honestly. Anyway, back to actual Wales. Um, also off recording, me and Samantha were both trying to do a Welsh accent, and it is better that it's off the recording. I was about to say it in my accent and then I think actually no, because we've just slagged them off at rugby, and now we get cancelled. So <laughs> let's it was not. really bad. It, it was I don't know what country it was, but it wasn't Wales. Um, so as I said, we're doing June fox Roberts again. Oh, but we can't pronounce Scottish places, so <laughs> I'm off to Wales. So this is like a public service announcement that I am going to try my hardest. Um, there's only a couple of places, <laughs> if I don't pronounce it right, I am really sorry. So um, June lived in Lantwitfardry, which is a large village in Cunit- Also, Caitlin,
1: I would just like to say... Hmm? No, I've never heard of this one. Thanks very much for asking. Oh yes. Sorry, too much talk about the Six Nations. I just assume you hadn't But <laughs> well, to be honest actually, that was a lie. I have heard of it. Have you? So yeah I have. Because do you know why? Why? I saw the recommendation, looked it up, saw some info. Then I saw your list had taken it. (laughs) So there we go. We have a list,
0: a shared list of like who's doing what case because there was once that I actually (laughs) done a case for getting Samantha done it. And she told me once we'd started the recording. Anyway, um, yeah, I went through all the recommendations and just took them all basically. Um, Basically, that's the truth, 100% nothing about it so but yeah carry on we sorry we've spoke a long time people are going to be like come on anyway to the story mm-hmm. you're making me say this again she lived in Fardre, which is a large village and community situated just off the a40 oh, <laughs> not getting town wrong things wrong a473 i was going to say 473 but that's not a thing a473 and it's near the welsh town of pontypridd and that has a population of about six and a half thousand people Pontypridd is a town and community, and that's in Rhoda side Cy- and Taff in Wales. Again, I'm sorry, um, but that is, like, stunning. Your typical, like, Welsh valley, it's got, like, the lovely River Taff that goes through it, loads of lovely hills, and that has a population of about 30k. Now, it's about 12 miles from Cardiff, so it's kind of a commuter town for people that are working in the centre of Cardiff. Now, we're actually going back, I say, but it's only to November 2021. So this isn't that long ago when it comes to our cases, especially Sam's. But actually, a lot of this information is still so fresh. And we're actually going to St Anne's Drive, which, as I said, is in Fardry, And this is a residential neighbourhood where June lives. Now, this is a lovely kind of residential area. They back onto woodlands and it's your typical kind of Welsh Valley situation. June was 65 years old and had lived in her detached house for about 40 years now. She had married her husband, Martin, and went on to have three children, Trisha, Sebastian, and Abigail. In 2009, Martin actually committed suicide by driving off the cliffs in Cornwall on his motorbike, um, which is horrific if your partner commits suicide as it is, but that is a really tragic death as well. Now, At the time of the story, she was not just a mum, but she was also a grandmother and was about to become a great-grandmother to her unborn great-granddaughter. June was an IT consultant and ran companies from her home, but more towards the time of the story, she'd stopped doing that and was running a local bakery nearby called June's Bakes and Shakes. I love that. I want to go to June's Bakes and Shakes. That just sounds very wholesome and very Welsh Valley. Beautiful. Beautiful. She was heading towards retirement and couldn't wait to spend more time with family, baking just for the fun of it, gardening and spending time with her dog Aggie. She was just a lovely person, everything I can gather, all the photos I can see of her, she's laughing, she was just a lovely person. Now it's a quiet winter morning on November the 21st 2021 when Abigail Fox Roberts was concerned as she couldn't reach her mum via phone. So she calls a lot but there's no answer it just rings out so it's not like her mum's rejecting the call it's just ringing and ringing out and she's a bit worried because she's like that's not like mum like even if she's out like she would say she's out but the house the phone isn't ringing I don't know if this is a house phone or a mobile I generally don't know um so I don't know if it's like if it's the house she knows she's out or if it's the mobile that would even be more concerning She goes round to the house and lets herself in as she has keys and from the minute she walks in the door basically she is met with a horrific scene. In the hall there's a trail of blood leading towards the dining room. She follows this and calls for her mum which I just want to shout out like if I opened the door to my mum's house and there was a trail of blood I'd be like reversing on out of there and immediately phone the police. But she is very very brave and continues to look for her mum. Aggie appears as she's entering the dining room and there is where she finds her mum in the middle of the room. Now, when I say she finds her mum, I'm sorry for the graphic details. This is quite going to be quite graphic. So again, if you don't want to listen to that, that's your kind of time now to stop. But when I say they found her mum, she found her mum's torso lying on top of a blue tarpaulin and next to it was a chainsaw. Now, she runs out of the house and immediately calls 999. Now, you can actually find the recording online of the 999 call. She is so calm, bless her. Like, she must just be in complete shock. Like, she has a couple of stuttering, but my God, like, she gives over all the details you need in this call. She is amazing. Like, I couldn't imagine ever trying to make that call. Now, detectives arrive pretty fast, which no wonder she says that, like, I've just walked into my mum's house and found her torso. Abigail, unfortunately, identifies the torso as her mum's and the house is searched for anyone else and her body parts, to be honest. Now, the killer had tried to clean up the crime scene. They found a bag of bleach, cleaning products and gloves that had June's blood on them. Now, these were looked at and not identified to be June's own products. So the killer had actually brought cleaning products to the house with them. Now Forensic had worked out that the attack began in the hallway due to the fact that there was blood splatters on the wall so she was obviously hit with heavy blows but in the dining room they found a large puddle of blood underneath her torso and human tissue on the wall so she was obviously cut up in the dining room. The house was sealed off and so was the grounds and the woodland. Detectives completed a door-to-door with neighbours but nothing came from it. They didn't hear any screams, they didn't hear anything that would indicate to them that something was going on. Now, this is horrific, but they need to find the other body parts. Where were they? Like, where did they go? Like, did they take some parts of her out of the house? So there's a couple of, like, theories. Like, okay, so did they take the remaining body parts out of the house? They then maybe dump them in certain areas, either in Pontypridd or in Land of Did they do that? And then all of a sudden the public are going to start finding body parts. Or were they planning to remove her whole body, but then they've maybe taken some of it and then been interrupted by the daughter coming? Did they just put them somewhere in the house? Have they buried them? There is absolutely no idea. They also, the person that's done this, is going to be absolutely covered in blood. Like there's blood tissue, all there's blood and sorry body tissue all over the walls. So it's not like this person could just be nipping out and dumping them somewhere. The next day, they carry on searching for the body parts, which is horrific for the family. Like, you've just found out your mum's been killed in such a violent way and they can't even find her yet, which is horrific. The families were interviewed and again asked about enemies' motives, which there was none. This woman owns a little bakery in the village. Like, who's going to hate on this woman? There was just absolutely nobody. She was genuinely loved by everyone. So that then plants the seed of, okay, Was this a random person? Like, surely this doesn't happen in a small village. You don't just turn up at somebody's house with a chainsaw, kill them and dismember them. That doesn't happen. So the community is now absolutely terrified, thinking, OK, is there some sort of serial killer with a chainsaw on the loose that's going to let themselves into our house and kill us? Detectives increase their presence in the village. There's more kind of police out and about. as some sort of reassurance that they are taking this seriously and they are trying to keep people safe. They do a public appeal on the 22nd so the next day and ask anyone who saw anything suspicious to come forward but again, nothing. There was around 50 people working on this case and in an incident room sorry, was created so it's like full steam ahead like trying to find this person but there is just nothing. They go to local residents aim as some have ring doorbells and begin looking at local CCTV to see if they can find anything but the ring doorbell shows absolutely nothing worthy at all. Um, I have a ring doorbell and it is always my fear that I see something like that on it. There's been a murder and it's like on my ring doorbell or something because then I'm scared that they're going to come and kill me because I've got a ring doorbell. That might be a bit overdramatic, but I don't know if you feel that, sense. But I do. I
1: I'd totally feel that way if I had one, but I don't. Is, is that why you don't? You're scared to <laughs> you get killed? Yeah, but also I just hate looking through the like so I've got a window on my door you know how it's like frosted the out peephole. there's a pattern it's not on the peephole it's just like you know it lets light in and like at yeah. night time I'm so glad my stair has a light because I'm like mm. mind you I'm not because then I'm like I see a shadow and I'm like oh it's time but it's just <laughs> a ghost or something <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. my imagination's mental though as you know so
0: yeah no I'm glad we're both the same if anyone has ever found anything Mysterious on the ring doorbell, please let us know. I would love to hear. Now, a few days into the search, they find a Cinderella gift bag in the hall. Now, this was for her granddaughter's Christmas present. The detectives look inside and find one of June's legs. What the fuck? So that's been in the house the whole time. It's been in the hall. On top of that, the other bags in the dining room, um, where there's like the cleaning products and stuff were, contained her other limbs. And her head. They also found a bag of men's clothing, so a black cap, a t shirt, Adidas shorts. So the killer has obviously got changed as that's belonged to the killer and they've got changed and wore something else. How did they not find these sooner? I am in no way disrespecting the detectives, but how did you not find this? How did you, you've said you've been looking for her limbs, they were in the house the whole time. And it's like a majority of them and the killer's clothes were in the same room. So I don't know how it's taken them so long, but yeah, they eventually found them. They also found a size 11 or 12 bloody footprint in the house as well. So they're assuming that's the killer's um, shoe size. In the upstairs bathroom, they also found a tub of recently used hair dye and some hair in the sink. So they believe that the killer then dyed and cut their hair as June hadn't. So they've actually not only just got chained, they've then dyed and cut their hair. So they'd be less recognisable, which...
1: I'm just saying there's DNA all over this place. Yeah. it's happening?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Like, whoever's done this was not thinking, and we're going to go on to that. They also found a blood-stained axe under the bags of tarpaulin, and her cause of death was blunt uh, force trauma. She was bludgeoned to death, and it was with this axe. Now, rumours, unfortunately, began in the village. Now... I'm all for a wee like conspiracy theory rumour but these rumours are not okay. So rumours begin in the village blaming her daughter Trisha for her murder. Now to confirm, I didn't want to have to go into this but because of this part of the case, Trisha is transgender and was accused of killing her mum. Now people started using her dead name, using old photos of her pre-transition and saying that her mum wasn't supportive of it and this is why she's done it. This is absolutely not true she first of all had an alibi she was in cornwall but secondly her mum supported her choices her mum was fine with everything and detectives actually had to put a statement out telling the public that she was in no way a suspect and to like stop with these rumours and like trashing of her which i think is fucking brutal because there was no evidence it's not like her and her mum didn't get on there was nothing there apart from the fact of the transgender argument which is just bullshit especially in 2021 now, detectives widen their search for surveillance footage beyond the neighbourhood, um, and again, they're trying to look, they're trying to see if someone escapes through the woods, they're trying to find these things, but it is really, really difficult. They are kind of coming up with nothing. However, a crucial development emerged when a 999 call came from a local man working at a nearby tyre yard, which was a five-minute walk from kind of this bit. He said he saw a man emerging from one of the containers on the yard. Now, he was wrapped in a navy blanket and was barefoot. His face was scratched and he had entered the container three hours after June's body was discovered. His hair was freshly dyed and badly cut. He had a large backpack, a large plastic bag, jeans, a leather jacket and a striped T-shirt. Now, by the time detectives get there, the man is gone, um, but they obviously have the CCTV of him. They identify the clothes and the clothes actually confirmed to be Trisha's. She had to identify this footage and confirm that the man was wearing her clothes. What the fuck? So these clothes have obviously been at her mum's and he's fucking stole them, put on your victim's daughter's clothes and left in them. Which I feel, I don't know, it's such a weird, minor detail, but it's one that makes like my skin go cold. I know that sounds really dramatic, but I was just like, that's horrific that you've stole. This gal, I I don't know, I just find it really weird. So this man is looking like our suspect, stole the clothes, got rid of his, dyed his hair, it's all looking, you know. They were hoping to ID him, so released footage of him from the tire yard. Now he was a white man, about 5'8", blonde, sticky up hair, he was skinny, about late 20s, early 30s and had his lip and nose pierced. Now, a name comes forward from the public, which is 25-year-old Luke um, Dealy, who was an art student in Cardiff. He had recently been reported missing as he was struggling with his mental health and required medication. The man in the CCTV didn't look like him, to be fair. Luke was known to look look quite good. He was quite shy, but had a good demeanour about him. However, we need to take into consideration the hair dye, yada, yada. They went through further CCTV and found another video of the man who was also living rough and talking to himself. So this was the same person. Another tip came in saying they'd seen that man recently, the day before June's body was found, and they spoke in a car park. They find the CCTV of this conversation in the car park and he's wearing the black Adidas shorts, he's carrying a backpack and two plastic bags. Another call comes in locating the man somewhere in the village behind the row of houses. So, detectives go right to the scene and he is sat, he's covered in suit and he's eating a pack of Harry And he's like, so chill. Speaking to the detectives, they're like, look, mate, we're going to have to arrest you on the suspicion of murder. They cuff him. He's like, yeah, okay, no worries. Like, happily goes along to the back of the police van. He says that his name is Lewis Thomas. And he has just been on a hike. So at the station, Lewis is photographed, he is dishevelled, he's dirty, he's covered in scratches. And the bag that he's carrying, his backpack has blood on it. Now, the investigation looked into the CCTV from the car park where he was seen prior Jim's murder. And it shows him that the man's looking very different to the man that's arrested. He has dark hair, he's got a big beard, but he has the same bag and the same clothes. The man also looks a lot like Luke Dealey, the art student that's gone missing. So like, what's going on? It then confirms that Lewis was actually Luke. So he gave a fake name. The name Lewis Thomas was fake, just to confirm. So I know Luke and Lewis, annoying that they sound so similar. But um, yeah, so it is Luke Dealey. What I'm getting a bit confused at as well is when they're saying like, he looks so different. Yeah, but if we're believing he's dyed and cut his hair, I hope he looks different. So I was a bit like, okay, he gets interviewed and he no comments all his interviews. That makes me so angry. It's mad that I don't know about you, but I feel like I know they've got the right to no comment, but I feel like it just boils my blood when they're just like, yeah, no comment, no comment, no comment. I'm just like, don't just say something. But then I get it at the same time. We watch that um, 24 hours in police custody quite a lot. Um, and that happens in that. All the time. And I'm just like, why are we watching this? Because that's so annoying to say something. But also, if I was in an interview, I'd be no comment all day long. Would you no comment? Yeah, yeah.
1: I agree. But then I'm just like, give me some information. So, yeah, I'm with Uh you. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. And especially because he's been, like, so chatty, like, to the police, like, quite happily, just going in the van and stuff. But then he's now like, oh, no comment. And I'm just like, whatever anyway moving on when he's shown the CCTV off him with the bags etc he asks for a break to speak with his lawyer but that's all it seems to get to him is I think he is obviously giving it like no comment no comment and then when they're like here is you with bags that were found at the crime scene he is like ah, shit okay detectives ask the public to help find June's mobile phone because they cannot locate that has it been sold has it been dropped has he destroyed it they're not 100% sure Luke gave his DNA and it came back as a match found in June's dining room, which, as you said, there was DNA all over that crime scene. He was questioned again, but continued no comment. But he was officially charged with the murder of June Fox Roberts. Now, when he went to cell, he asked for a pot noodle and a hot chocolate. Love both, not together. He went to court. I was just
1: about to say, that's exactly what I had when we went on the North Coast 500 journey. Find that one time. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. Did you have a pot noodle and a hot chocolate at the same time? Well, yeah, because mind we were hungry and we were like, was it not Landzey or oh, John O'Groat? Sorry. Uh huh. And
0: Midland Aware, and that's all there was. Anyway, don't. Yeah, I've don't, got full, That's r- Sam. I actually must have blocked that out my memory. I don't blame you.
1: I'm what still a combination. By it.
0: Yep. Oh my god, that's actually thrown me we need to stop the episode and not come back that has honestly thrown me so um as I said a question again no comment officially charged yeah, yeah, I've after all that the pot, pot noodles throw me back now he went to court the following day and said nothing but his name and address now the trial date was set for the 9th of May 2022 and a plea trial prep date was set for the 17th of March However, the trial was postponed to April 2023, so less than a year ago. And on the 28th of April 2023, Luke made an appearance in court and pled guilty to manslaughter, citing dismin- uh, diminished responsibility. So he pled not guilty to murder. He went for manslaughter. Now, this is because Luke has paranoid schizophrenia. And this was determined by three different doctors in his reports and all that stuff. His ability to comprehend consequences was impaired and he couldn't make rational judgments. So in March 2019, he was actually in a psychiatric hospital and that is when he began his antipsychotic medication. In July 2021, his parents were concerned and got help from a mental health team. So they got um, like support around that and it seemed to be okay, but he told the mental health team he'd stopped taking his meds And in September 2021, Luke went um, off to uni in Wales and went into a shared house. Now, his health got worse at this time. His roommates grew concerned. He actually stole keys from their room, played loud music, broke the fire alarm. And on the 11th of November 2021, so what, 10 days before June's murder, he began shouting abuse at a female housemate and threw water over her. Now, the police were called and he left the house abruptly at this time and left all his stuff. He began drawing delusional drawings and he said he got messages from a higher power demanding that he had to commit a crime. He had a fear of um, like a fear of like a group of people that were conspiring against him. This group didn't exist, but due to his schizophrenia, he believed that there was a group of people that were conspiring on his demise. He was once like he was kicked out of the house and that's when he became homeless and lived like as he's living like. On the 18th of November, he was trying to get seen, trying to get into the student union, but was unsuccessful in getting in. He told the detectives that he had got messages from the higher power to commit a murder, and he was also in talks with Satan. Now, due to all this, the crown accepted this plea, and he was sectioned under the Mental Health Act, Section 45. He was remanded in a psychiatric hospital, and the sentencing was adjourned to the 28th of April. So, what they're trying to figure out is like what happened because. He says that he can't remember quite a lot of it. He was obviously having an episode. But the prediction is that he had decided he had to kill somebody. He'd got all his cleaning products, made this plan to commit a murder. We don't know if June was picked by a reason. We don't know if he'd seen her in her shop. We don't know if he was literally walking and picked that area because he was an easy escape route. I generally don't have that answer for you. He broke in through an open window. And that's when he met June in the hallway and he's obviously stood there again, like the pottery cottage murders. Can you imagine just being in your house and you turn around and someone has stood in it with an axe? Like you honestly would just I, I not I would just die there and there. Like I honestly don't know what I would do. But she is stuck there and he keeps hitting her on the head with an axe. There is evidence of self-defense wounds, and obviously there were scratches on him. He then stomps on her, and drags her into the living room. Uh, the dining room, sorry, puts her on the charcoal, in, and that's when he decapitates her, then removes her limbs. Abigail and Trisha both feel so guilty as they were actually away on holiday in Cornwall the weekend that June was killed. Abigail actually lived with June as her marriage was ended. So they kind of saw them going away as a good thing. It was giving June some space and she had like your typical mother and daughter. of like, eh, no misbehaving when I'm away. And this obviously then happens, but you cannot blame them at all. And actually, we don't know what difference it would have been if she was home. Like, do you know, if the daughters were home, would he have then killed them both? Would they have been able to have fought back? Like, you genuinely don't know. Now, during the sentencing on the 28th of April, he was sentenced indefinitely to the high security Ashworth Hospital. So obviously that just means that he's not going to get out until he's better. If he gets better, there is no release date, which I think makes total sense. Like, I think it would have just been silly to say he's a danger to the public we'll give him life, but actually in 30 years we can let him out. That just wouldn't have made sense at all. And I do also agree, I don't think it would have been fair to send him to prison, which is quite controversial. Um, I know that some people are like, well, he murdered someone. I totally respect that. But I think with his diagnosis and everything that the medical professionals are saying, I don't think prison would have done anything for him. Now, Abigail spoke at the trial. Actually, both Abigail and Trisha did. They gave family um, victim impact statements. Abigail spoke about finding her and how traumatised she still is and the fact that her childhood home was destroyed, basically. Now, she said in her statement, quote, nothing could have prepared me for what happened and what I saw when I got home that Sunday. I close my eyes and see tarpaulin, my mother's nightdress, her leg cut at her thigh. These images will never leave me. My childhood home, my safe space destroyed in the most violent act I have ever seen or ever could imagine. Now, she obviously says as an adult, she is scared. She has a daughter, so she's scared that she's taken from her daughter. There's just so much trauma there for the family. Trisha and her statement said pretty much the same, said her world was upended, that she had had to quit her education. She actually then became homeless due to the fact she wasn't working and studying. She was also traumatised and said it actually has created a lifelong effect on her personality. Now, the defence read a letter from Luke's parents and it says, "Quote." This case is disturbing, shocking and tragic. Our hearts go out to the family. We can only imagine the grief and trauma they are going through. We wake up every day wishing their mother was alive and well. Now, I don't know. I honestly don't know what you would say, but I just feel like it's quite cold. But in their defence, they're probably grieving as well because I can't imagine, like, being the parents of a child that does that do you know what I mean or am I just reading too much into that or do you think that statement was quite cold mm,
1: I think you're just reading a bit too much into it but I'm quite cold at Thanks, times I'm right so... moving on well no whatever I can be blunt. you're like
0: I think that was emotional
1: <laughs> not emotional but I mean what there's no what point in are doing it
0: yeah exactly like, I, what I, can you that. say nothing's gonna bring them back what do you say I know I know totally Now, the defence also said Luke was a, quote, different man compared to the one who killed Miss Fox Roberts. He said that his client was incredibly ill at the time of the killing, which was the only explanation for what happened. He also said the defendant had not put the family of Juno through a trial and pleaded guilty to manslaughter by diminished responsibility because he thought going through a trial would be too upsetting for them, which I do actually get. Now, in his sentencing remarks, Mr Justice Griffiths said that there is a high risk you will commit further offences if you're not detained. Detention is necessary to protect the public from serious harm. It is not possible to say how long that would be so, which as I'd said about the indefinitely. The judge also said, you thought a higher power was telling you to kill someone. You found June Fox Roberts' door unlocked and went inside. As she was waking up in front of you, as she was walking, sorry, up in front of you, you violently attacked her while defending herself, she sustained fractures to her left forearm. You inflicted blunt force injuries to her head. One of those knocked her out when she was lying on the floor. You appeared to trample on her and drag her body into the dining-room, put it on tarpaulin, and then cut off her head, limbs with an axe you brought from her garden, put them into bags, and then these were later found in the house, actually addressing the killer. Mr Justice Griffith said, you only did these terrible things because of your mental illness. You have no previous convictions and there are no evidence that you had any rational motive for what you did. You thought you were reading, sorry, you thought you were receiving messages from what you described as a higher power and were acting on commands. You also had the delusional belief if there were a group of individuals out to get you. So that is the case of June Fox Roberts. Samantha, what do you think? I think it's one of those where it does give me the absolute fear because it was just a random killing. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's something that you, obviously no one will know what there was no there was just nothing to it. Um, it's awful. Someone lost their life as well in a brutal manner, mm. and then it kind of reverts back to: is there enough? There's not enough resources and stuff especially at the moment in the UK to help people with their mental illnesses and could this have been avoided
0: mm-hmm. you just yeah, never yeah. know
1: you never know. know and it's awful completely awful and it, you, I know no comment I hear what you're saying yeah, yeah. Oh.
0: Stop it. Um, Sorry,
1: I didn't even mean that.
0: <laughs> no, no, I totally, totally get what you're saying. And I think that must be so hard as well for the family because as the defence is saying, like he is a complete different person now, completely different person. And I think that's so difficult because y- you you don't want, you want to be angry at him and you want to hate him, but actually it was because he was unwell. Um, so before we finish, I'm going to take you on a bit of a side note. Um, because in my research, I was going to actually add this to just the main part, but I was really shocked by what I read. To be honest, that I was like, "Nah, I'm going to take you on a wee kind of detour." So it shouldn't take too long. Um, well, actually, I say that's me. I'll probably keep going on. But anyway, I'm going to tell you a bit about the hospital that he has gone into, the one that is, uh, Luke, oh, the one that Luke is in. So. He went to Ashworth Hospital. So Ashworth Hospital is a high security psychiatric hospital in Mackell. It's 10 miles northeast of Liverpool and it is part of the Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Now, this caters to patients with psychiatric health needs that require treatment in conditions of high security. Now, this hospital is only one of four psychiatric hospitals in the United Kingdom providing psychiatric care within conditions of high security and one of only three in England. So, Samantha, can you guess the four? So, I've gave you Ashworth. No. Right, that was a fucking fun game. Um, Well, for anyone that would like to guess... Correct, that is one. that There's Broadmoor Hospital, which is in (laughs) Crowthorne. That's me done. (laughs) Excellent, thank you very much. So, the ones in England um, are obviously Ashworth, you've got Broadmoor, and then you have Rampton Secure Hospital in Woodbeck. And for most people in Northern Ireland and Scotland, we have Carstairs State Hospital.
1: Oh, Carstairs.
0: Yes. For God's
1: sake, I, it was on the tip of my tongue. I Liar.
0: So that is the four. Now, a little bit of early history and kind of, which I just find interesting. It's not the reason I'm telling you this. But anyway, this hospital, um, it was basically called Mosside House and it was a home for like children from Liverpool's workhouses, yada yada. For the First World War, it was set up for people with post-traumatic stress disorder, as we know it now. It became a special hospital in 1933. And in 1974, overcrowding at Broadmoor led to the construction of the Park Lane Special Hospital on this land. And in 1989, Mossside and Park Lane Hospitals merged to form Ashworth Hospital. And it was chosen by a ballot amongst patients and staff. Now, One of its most famous inmates, Samantha, would you like to have a guess at that one as well? Or are you just going to be absolutely useless? Yeah, I'm just going to be useless. Okie doke, I will tell you, it's Ian Brady.
1: Yeah, Um, he was also on the tip
0: of murder. No, he wasn't. Weesh was the perpetrator of the Moors murders. He was at Ashworth for over 30 years after being transferred from mainstream prison in November 1985. Now, he remained there until he died in May 2017 and had been in custody for more than 50 years. Now, I feel like Ashworth is the psychiatric hospital I know the least about. Obviously, I know quite a lot about Carstairs, because that is in Scotland, and we've looked at it, Broadmoor, we've covered so much, and then even Rampton, I've read a bit into, but I didn't know much about Ashworth at all, which is why I read into the history, which is why I, what I've told you, and then I stumbled across the Fallon Inquiry, and it's one of those that I was reading it, and I didn't believe what I was reading, because I was like, surely this cannot be true. Um... So I'm going to tell you briefly about the Fallon Inquiry and we're going to discuss it because I'm honestly still stunned at what I've read. So the Fallon Inquiry is about basically in 1997, a patient left from a day rehabilitation trip to protest against his treatment and the management of the personality disorder unit. Now, he made multiple allegations that pornography, drugs, alcohol were freely available in Ashworth and that patients were running businesses And that a child had been put at risk of abuse at the hands of a number of paedophiles, that security had been compromised, and that a number of staff were corrupt. Now, that's a huge bit that I've just read to you, right? Because I was obviously just like, what the fuck? So this inquiry was set up and reported in 1999. Now, the inquiry found that, who I'm going to be calling Child A, had visited the hospital on hundreds of occasions and had spent periods dressed only in their underwear with a patient who had a history of violent sexual assaults against young girls. The patient had also visited the child at her home, while escorted by a nurse from Ashworth. The nurse had taken pictures of the child for the patient, one of her on her bed and another on the toilet. Child A's dad... Also took the young son of a friend to visit another patient at Ashworth who was found guilty of kidnapping, sexual uh, torture, mutilation and murder of a 13 year old boy. Now, the inquiry team reported that Dr. John Reid, the chairman of the Reed Committee on Mentally Disordered Offenders, described a conversation with Pamela Taylor, who was then the head of medical services for the special hospitals in the area, in which the doctors at Ashworth were described as follows. Quote, Dr. 1, moderately capable, but with serious alcohol problems. Dr. 2, moderately capable, but feeble. Dr. 3, appalling. Doctor 4, never there. Doctor 5, weak. Doctor sick, made very poor provision for patients on the ward. Doctor 7, lazy. Doctor 8, unstable and not clinically good. There were three competent doctors. Now, the Fallon Inquiry's requirement or recommendation was that the hospital should close As a result of the Fallon inquiry, a review into the security was undertaken by Richard Tilt, who recommended in May 2000 that the security be upgraded to that that of a Category B instead of what category it was. What the fuck? Like, I'm sorry to be so like, I have never heard of this in my life. It's very kind of Jimmy Savile-esque. Shall it's, we say like, difficult vibes of but even that, like, and I think that's what really shocked me is like okay, Savile, yeah, not great. But he went into the hospital and was volunteering there. How has someone got a child into this hospital? Too. Yeah. Like a is, child mm. has gone in. Like, what the fuck? Like, I don't feel that you can just visit, but the amount of people that must have known this was happening. Like, why is a child being brought in to visit a ra- like? That's not their parent. They're visiting a fucking offender. How was this allowed? And how is this hospital still open? Like, yeah, I couldn't find anything, and I could have just been like not looking enough, but I couldn't find anything to see if any of these people were prosecuted. I don't know if they were even sacked. Like, the inquiry recommends the hospital closes, and they're like, "Oh no, we'll just upgrade that to be a Cat B." But that's not because- that's. What? That's not the... like. I'm not saying it's not the prisoner's fault. Hear me out. The prisoners are obviously fucking horrific. But why... why, If they're in prison, you're saying, okay, it's a Category B, we've got Category prison, this is how security is. But people are still bringing these children into this hospital. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And a lot gets swept under the mat, even today. Uh Uh-huh. And it's just we're never going to win so it's awful yeah
0: i was honestly just i, I don't really have anything else to no say. i know sorry. i know it's fine yeah no you're absolutely fine like i was reading into it more there was another report done in the 90s related to the overuse of drugs but that's actually like unavailable to find um there was also an inspection done by the european committee for the prevention of torture in a twenty sixteen review, because people twenty sixteen, uh
1: huh, what the hell? That'll yeah. be the reason for Brexit then, eh?
0: <laughs> same year, just same. But Arseholes. it was honestly just like it was just crazy. It, like again, that is just mental. Like uh, there was just so much that I was just like, what is happening here? like you're genuinely like flicked through like oh i'll add a quick wee bit of background about the hospital and then i was like what the fuck have i stumbled upon um there's yeah there's loads if you actually generally want me to do more about Ash- ashworth we could actually probably do an episode or a mini episode about either those four main hospitals or about ashworth if people are interested in no more or If people know more about any of them there was the fallon inquiry there was the blom cooper inquiry uh the swan report and obviously the torture inspection so if you know any more about them and i've missed it please let me know um sorry i didn't mention the bloom uh, the blom cooper inquiry that was basically alleged that a parent had died because staff beat him with a snooker cue um basically but again it basically said that it conducted that all the hospitals should be closed but they're all still going so yeah i feel like i could have this could be an episode in itself because i'm in such a Like, what the fuck is happening here? But yeah, if people want to know more information, um, or if this is actually common information, we just didn't know about it, but I was just absolutely stunned. And it puts a fear in me that this is what's going on behind closed doors. Even in these types of hospitals, I know that there's people in there that have committed horrific crimes, but you can't be killing them, do you know? (laughs) You can't be doing that. So as always get in touch if you get back to obviously this case with June Fox Roberts if you have any more information or any questions about that get in touch anything about the hospitals get in touch and any recommendations Sam needs some <laughs> because I have to the rest <laughs>